Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, joined alongside by my co-host, as always, Jordan Climac. Jordan, it's warm in Chicago. It's warm in Cleveland. How you doing, my guy? I'm doing good, man. Uh, yeah, shaved up for the summer. It's warm. Been 85 here. Man, I got out, was able to play 18 yesterday, play a little golf earlier in the week. And then my man, Phil Mickelson, just became the oldest um, golfer in history to win a major. So, I mean, th- things are good right now, man. Things are good. Yeah, it's equally hot here in Chicago. Haven't, haven't played any golf yet. I actually, the only time I played golf so far this year was back when I was in Cleveland uh, a few weeks ago. However, did you, hold on. Where did you play? I played at Manakiki. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Well, how about you? How about you? Where was your round yesterday? Uh, yeah, so yesterday, Sweetbriar. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right. Not yeah, Legacy, we... just Sweetbriar. You know, I'm, we'll, we'll get to Legacy at some point this summer. Yeah, it's, uh, it's that time of year. You know, uh, golf season means football season's typically a little bit slower. But there's still plenty to talk about. There's still plenty to talk about for sure. And so, Jordan, when we were coming up with this podcast today, we wanted to take a look at, at the rest of the AFC North and as far as who the Browns are going to face a, a lot this season. And we had PFF's Mike Renner on this podcast to talk a little bit about the drafts. However, we didn't get to dive a ton into the free agency aspect of it and really the major moves that are ultimately going to impact the Brown season significantly this year. So Jordan, I, I can't wait to run through this with you. I think this AFC North is going to be just as competitive as it always is. Yeah, I agree. And, and it's funny too, because I mean, last year, what there was, was with the Ravens 10 and six, were they 11 and five? Uh, the, uh, Ra- the Ravens were 11 and five Steelers, 10 and four Browns also 11 and five. Gotcha. Yeah. So there you have, it. I mean, so three teams right there that made the playoffs, three teams that were competitive. And look, the Bengals are only going to keep getting better. I think they have a good young core there, especially on offense. I mean, they still need some pieces on defense, but yeah, the AFC North is, I mean, it's going to be a grind this year, Henry. And even, even the games against the Bengals um, certainly aren't given for the Browns. So it'll be interesting to see how things play out. But at the same time, I like how the Browns offseason additions stack up against the rest of the AFC North. Well, we will get to how the Browns stack up versus everyone else, Jordan. But let's start with that plucky upstart team in the Bengals. They went 4-11-1 last year. However, after drafting Joe Burrow number one, I think most people would say his rookie season was a success until he had that terrible knee injury against the Washington football team. So he will be recovering this season. They say he's going to be ready for week one. But Jordan, what did you see out of Burrow last year? And what do you expect from him in year two? Oh, from Burrow, I mean, I was I was really impressed with what, he, what he was able to do last year. I mean, especially from the standpoint that he didn't have much of an offensive line. But really, he saw the same thing that I've seen from him even going back to his days in high school when I covered him, Henry. It was, you know, the same thing. He's able to improvise a lot, kind of make something out of nothing. We saw that happen a bunch of times last year when you think he's sacked and all of a sudden he like squirts away and then all of a sudden he's making a play downfield. Like I think Burrow's that guy. I, I mean, I, I expect him to be in the MVP conversation at some point in the NFL. Like I, I really think that he's going to be an elite quarterback when it's all said and done and certainly on his way. The only thing that's going to come down to is going to be health. And if the Bengals is going to be able to put a good enough offensive line around him, 
to keep him upright and healthy. All that is still yet to be determined. They went, uh, they decided to go chemistry over, um, you know, kind of logic in, in, in the draft this year in terms of drafting Jamar Chase instead of, an, you know, Sewell on the offensive line. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see Henry, but in terms of Joe Burrow, I'm, I mean, I don't have enough good things to say about him. Obviously, you guys are, are connected back from from the Ohio days. Joe Burrow from Athens, Ohio, originally. Jordan, of course, went to Ohio University, so in Athens, Ohio. And then, you know, Burrow, a, a lot of fans that listen to this podcast will be familiar uh, with his journey, transferring from Ohio State to LSU, of course, and then winning the national title. I thought his rookie season was solid. I really did. It feels a little bit to me like it's gotten a little overhyped, I would say, at this point, only because he did stand out statistically, I would say, quite well. However, he threw the ball a ton. And not yeah. I don't think any of that was his own fault. It was just hard for me to get a great read on him. I would say he clearly demonstrated that, hey, he's not going to be a bust. He's clearly a, a starting quarterback worthy of that number one overall pick. However, what his ceiling is to me is a little unclear because they just were not a winning football team last year. And so I don't think he was asked to do a lot of winning things as, as far as late games. So you're definitely right about that. But here's the thing. I, I, they, they didn't win a lot of games last year, Henry, but they were very competitive in a lot of games. And you look at one of the teams that was like week in and week out covering a spread that they had no business covering. I mean, God, the money, you know, the m amount of money that came out on the Bengals last year, just because they were covering spreads. I think they were really only blown out in like one or two games. I remember one of those games being against the Ravens, but like the bottom line for them too is, as well as the offensive line is, I mean, I don't think Zach Taylor is a guy that's uh, long for the NFL. And to your point of like, wh why the hell are you throwing 50 times a game when you have a franchise quarterback and you don't have an offensive line? To me, that completely falls on Zach Taylor. And I think that the Bengals are going to move forward with Joe Burrow's progression with the progression of the team. I think they need someone else in charge, but the problem is they don't, they don't ever switch, switch coaches, Henry. I mean, how long were we saying Marvin Lewis, how, how do you still have a job? It seemed like we said it for like seven years in a row and they finally let him go. So I, I don't know how that plays out, but I think Zach Taylor has to go too. Yeah. They let Marvin Lewis go and I don't think they upgraded Zach Taylor no. to me is in the bottom tier of NFL coaches, as far as what I've seen from him so far. And I think that it's really the the fundamental problem with the Bengals organization. And the Browns have dealt with this previously is it's an organizational failure. So even though they, they potentially have their franchise quarterback, he's facing a lot of obstacles. I, and I think you're right that it starts with a head coach in Zach Taylor, but everybody knows that the Bengals ownership is not viewed positively around the league. They're considered one of the cheapest ownership groups in the NFL. And then I also think there are some questions about them from a management standpoint. You look at the way they approach this offseason, Jordan, and you mentioned it. They chose Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell. And in a lot of people's eyes, I don't think necessarily addressed their biggest holes on the roster. What did you think about that decision to go with a guy that obviously Burrow has lots of familiarity with from their time at LSU, but didn't necessarily seem to be the biggest need for the Bengals on, on this year's team. I thought it was, you know, uh, straight up. I thought it was a terrible decision. Honestly, I like just to have those look, look at how the Browns have addressed the past two off seasons and drafts, Henry, there were glaring needs and we didn't try and get cute. You address what you had to address, address the, everything that made sense. 
to make your football team better. The Browns had the same offensive line issues last year going to the draft. They addressed the offensive line with their first-round pick. And so I don't understand what the Bengals are doing. I do remember live when it happened on the draft, we were getting information that came in kind of before the picks came out, and then I'd relay that information for a guy that was producing a show, kind of that spotter role. I remember seeing probably 10 minutes before it happened that Jamar Chase was going to go to the Bengals, and I, I just I, I was texting people immediately, like, what, is, what are they doing? Like, what is going on? I, I understand the whole connection with Joe Burrow and how it goes back to LSU and what they were able to accomplish there. But the logical move, like, Henry, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on Penny Sewell, but I, I've talked to people, I've read things that say, like, this guy is going to be an all pro for years. Like we're talking like 10 all pros, possible hall of fame down the line. He's like that for sure. Offensive lineman. So if that guy is there and you have your franchise quarterback and you don't make the move to go out and protect him, someone's got to get fired for that. I mean, seriously, I like, I just don't know how you, like, what was the conversation in the room? Like they were just valuing the connection between Burrow and Chase so much over the logical move of protecting their most valuable asset moving down the line. I, I really still having trouble understanding Henry. And it's funny too, because, you know, we, we might even come out and the Bengals offense might be great. Jamar chase might be great, but it takes one hit as we saw last year, it takes one hit and that could end bro season. And if, if he takes another one this year coming off of the ACL this year, I mean, I don't know how his career is going to be. It could be one of those guys that, you know, had all the talent in the world, but the team couldn't put the right pieces around him to keep him stable. And I really don't want to see that happen with Joe Burrow, but it's, it's certainly a possibility. I'm right there with you on the Jamar Chase side of things. I, ultimately, best player available when, when you're in the top five. I get that mentality. And for me, I guess the, the, the challenge is, what was Jamar Chase the best player available? I'm not sure. In, in general, I think a lot of these receivers get tons of hype in, in the top ten. And because when they work out, it's great. You get Julio Jones. You get A.J. Green. But there are a lot of these guys that don't work out as well. And it's one of the positions with the highest variability. And I also think that it's a position where you can get tons of value later on in the draft, second mm -hmm. rounders, third rounders. I mean, how many of the top guys in the league were not the, these top 10 picks? So I question the value of, of taking Jamar Chase there. I question the fact that it seems like Joe Burrow might have had an influence on that pick, which I don't necessarily love. Mm -hmm. taking the input from your guy who's obviously going to stand up for his teammate. And, and you mentioned it. Panay Sewell has all the makings of a great offensive lineman for years to come. He's super young. He started from his freshman season on at Oregon and was absolute, absolutely dominant while he was there. So he may not work out either. You never know. But the fact that they approached it this way where, yes, they took the, the tackle out of Clemson in, in the second round, Jackson Carmen but they really didn't do a whole lot to shore up the offensive line around Burrow. Riley Reef was their, I guess, you know, assigning at the right tackle spot to help shore up the tackle positions. But Reef was awful in his previous stops prior to the Bengals. So not sure how much he has left to give. And I know they have Jonah Williams from last year that that's slotted to play left tackle for them. But to me, you have to throw resources at the tackle position when they're not performing and, the Bengals tackles did not perform last year. They need help. They have to protect Burrow if this team's going to get any better. So the process just does not seem to be there for this team. Yeah, it's such a great point by you. Like, you know, there's a chance that Penny Sully doesn't work out, and there's a chance that Jamar Chase does work out. And then we're sitting here saying, but, like, to your point, the fact that it was approached that way was, like, you have a guy who's one year in the league and it seems like you're already – 
kind of taking his advice on what you should do and kind of running your friend. I just, it speaks volumes to the front office of the Bengals. And basically I just tie it back to the Browns and say like, Hey, this used to be the Browns addressing, you know, situations like this so poorly. And it's not us anymore. It's the Bengals. And honestly, I'm fine with that. So it is what it is. And another example of this, and we'll move off the Bengals because I think they're the least exciting of these three teams, but what they did at the defensive end position to me made absolutely yeah. no sense where you let Carl Lawson go to the Jets for three years, $45 million. Well, in return, they signed Trey Hendrickson for four years, $60 million. I'm not sure Trey Hendrickson is a better player than totally they, they let go in Carl Lawson. And they did a bunch of other stuff, you know, the classic letting veterans go, like William Jackson, Gio Bernard, you know, John Ross at this point, they let depart. But outside of these draft picks, it doesn't seem like they brought in a, a lot of talent that's really going to upgrade this roster next year. So I think there's a lot of optimism around the Bengals because they have Joe Burrow. But I look at this roster, and I'm like, okay, they went 4-11-1 with Burrow last year. They don't seem like they got a whole lot better to me, in my opinion. I just find it hard to believe they're going to find their way, you know, real. I mean, they could win maybe seven games, but I, I just don't see the ceiling at all for this roster. Yeah. And not to mention like another move that Larry Ogan, Joe be signing, right. It's like, I, I don't really see how that's going to make their defense a lot better. And I think they gave him like a one year, $6 million, $6 million contract. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Six. Yep. Exactly. So I don't know. Like I, to me, that's a price tag that's way too high for a guy like Larry Ogunjobi, who we watched here for years, be not as productive as you'd like him to be in terms of the run defense. So, yeah, a lot of questionable moves, really, just from the draft down to free agency for the Bengals. And to your point, doesn't seem like they got a lot better. I think that their offense will – I mean, given Burrow is able to stay healthy, I think their offense will be able to score some points. But that defense is still atrocious. I mean, it, it really is. What, uh, what The one really – major move I guess that they made other than Trey Hendrickson was Mike Hilton and mm -hmm. I, I guess that's a solid move I'm not overly impressed by it but again I just think that their defense was terrible last year and at best it'll just be okay if they maxed out this year Mike Hilton I think is a good player right. 27 years old and the four-year contract for a guy that really plays slot corner a lot of the time, to me, again, the process. I'm like, he doesn't match up this with this team's timeline, really, and not at a position necessarily of tremendous value. So I just don't get it. And that's uh, that's much of the Bengals' offseason is I just – I don't really get it. And so I am going to be, you know, picking against them, I think, uh, in a lot of scenarios this season because I feel like the, the tone has shifted on, on them as a franchise when – Outside of Joe Burrow, I just don't really see it. Uh, I don't really see what else they yeah. <laughs> uh, are going to do to make their team successful. Speaking of the tone shifting on a franchise, Jordan, the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers won 12 games last year. They won this division last year. And yet, they are easily the third favorite in this division if you look at Vegas odds. And they're, they're over under in Vegas is eight and a half wins. It seems like people have soured a lot on them. Browns fans have had great expense uh, at their fan base throughout <laughs> yes. this off season. And keep it, and keep it coming by the way, <laughs> which has been, which has been fun. Look, I have enjoyed all of those videos. I've seen all, all of that. No doubt. No doubt. But well, do you think the hate has gone a little too far for an organization that really hasn't had a whole lot of losing seasons over the last several decades. 
see, that's the point there. It's like that they haven't, um, Mike Tomlin hasn't had a losing season in his tenure in Pittsburgh. But I, anyway, I think that the hate and the kind of, you know, the poking fun at, like, it's almost warranted. Because in my eyes last year, looking at this team, even when they were 11 and 0, I couldn't remember in a team that was 11 0 at one point that I was less impressed with. They were fi- uh, failing to score points all on, on like a week in and week out basis. Their offensive line was terrible. Ben looks old. Their offensive line has only gotten worse. Henry, I'm looking at a website right now that has Pittsburgh Steelers key additions. They have one player listed, Tyler Simmons. <laughs> like, I mean, think about that. The list of player wow. subtractions, James Conner, Steve Nelson, Mike Hill, who we touched on, Bud Dupree, Villanueva at uh, left tackle, Pouncey at center, Vance McDonald. Like, these are guys that they relied on in the past, especially on that offensive line and Villanueva and Pouncey. You take those two guys away, you have to replace them with – I mean, I don't know who they're going to replace them with, some run-of-the-mill free agent or a young draft pick, and then they go out in the draft and they do Najee Harris, which I, I didn't even agree with that pick because, like, I, I don't know what success he's going to have behind an offensive line that's just crippled. And if they weren't able to address those issues, like, Henry, we talked about it with the Bengals, of, of going out and not necessarily addressing the issues that were so apparent with your team. Browns did that. I'm not sure the Steelers did that. They didn't upgrade the offensive line, and that's where they needed it the most, Henry. They're always going to have a solid defense just because they're well-coached and well-schemed over there. But I don't see this team having nearly the success it had last year. And I almost think that their success last year was a fluke in the sense that, again, I don't know how they were 11-0 at one point. Like, they were 11-0, and we were all sitting here thinking, like, this team might lose its first-round playoff game. And lo and behold, they did, and it was to the Browns. So, again, not really impressed with their offseason, and they didn't really do – anything to me that has me worried about them like last year going in it was like okay I'm worried about the Steelers you know Big Ben's coming back what's going to happen Henry I mean this year it's like hey we get to play the Steelers twice like let's go I mean they're going to be close games they're going to be bloodbaths but I like the Browns against the Steelers especially in terms of what they did in the offseason I'm in agreement with you uh, as far as the Steelers offseason in general I thought it was pretty lackluster that you mentioned the offensive line. I thought their offensive line was overrated last year as it, as it was. And, and then uh, to lose the kind of two veteran guys that have been anchoring it as far as Villanueva and Pouncey, you know, how much those guys have left to give is a separate question. And the Browns are still going to see Villanueva with the Ravens. But here's the only thing that I think does give me some slight pause is the switch in offensive coordinator. I think Matt Canada could do a lot for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I thought... Finkner, their their coordinator last year, did not do a great job. I did not love the, the weird passing, you know, the short passing game they had going on. So if the argument I think for them would be, hey, they've got enough talent on, on this offense that they should have gotten more out of it than they did last year. So maybe it's not any better, but it, there's at least so, some more juice to squeeze there that, that they didn't get out of their team. But here's year. the thing. How, how, how can you get that juice this year? If we're talking about how, how much worse their offensive, not, and you said it too, like their offensive line was overrated last year. And I agree. And I don't even think it was still like highly regarded. <laughs> it would, and we, I think it was still overrated, but not still highly regarded. So if, if they weren't able to get it out last year and they've kind of lost some key pieces this year, who Ben was familiar with, I, I don't know how it comes about this year. All of a sudden, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I don't see it either. I, I, I think they'll be okay. I, I think right eight yeah. and a half is about – so I, in some senses, I think the, the hate has gone a little too far where people are acting like the Steelers team is going to be the fourth-place team in the division. 
unless Big Ben has really declined to the point where they, you know, can't rely on him anymore, I, I think this team will be about 500 just because of the defense. I think the defense is still going to be a top-tier unit in, in the NFL. And, yes, they lost Bud Dupree to the Titans. I don't think, ultimately, Bud Dupree was that impactful to this defense's success. Mike Hilton as well. But T.J. Watt and those guys are still going to be there. And I think they have a lot of the, the scheme, as you mentioned, that's going to get them to being a top 10 unit in this league and maybe a top five unit if all things break right as far as the injuries are concerned. It's just I can't see Big Ben taking a step forward from what he gave us last season. I can't see the offensive line taking a step forward from what they gave last season. And you look at their draft, how many times do we need to do this? If you have a bad <laughs> offensive line, Drafting a first-round running back is idiotic. Drafting a first-round running back is probably idiotic in general, exactly. especially if you don't have anybody to block for him. Exactly. And then you hear all this crap about, like, oh, you know, like, well, they're, they're really like Najee Harris in the past game and all this. And it's just like, all right, whatever. So you guys are trying to create narratives. And I don't know, Henry, the, the same thing, as, you know, with all this being said to the point Mike Tomlin is still their coach. We haven't seen him go under 500 in a year and – especially you know, last year when he didn't have – or two years ago when he didn't have Ben Roethlisberger, still was able to get that team to 800 or 500 with, you know, Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph playing quarterback. So, I, you know, you got to trust in Tomlin, what he'll be able to do, that coaching staff over there. I wouldn't be surprised if they snuck 10, 10 wins this year. We're 10 and 7, somewhere around there. But, um, yeah, the bottom line is I just don't think that they are the threat in the AFC North that they once were. I don't either. You look – there are a couple other things that give me optimism that the Steelers still are, are not going to be great uh, and that they might come in under 500 besides what we've already talked about. And that's two things. Number one, the stories about how it seemed like they wanted to get rid of Big Ben this year that came in after the season where the GM basically didn't really commit to him, but then contractually, it seems like they don't really have another way out of that contract. So they have to stick with him. And you know, Big Ben's our quarterback for right now. To me, that that indicates some structural instability, which is not something we've seen out of the Steelers. They're usually that's what gets them to be so consistent, right? Even if it is Duck Hodges playing quarterback, they've got everything in place around him where they're going to get the most out of him and the most out of their team every year. It's starting to feel like that that infrastructure is crumbling a bit. Maybe not fully, but it it's, feels like the Steelers could be in a bit of a rebuild from that perspective. And on top of that. If you look at Vegas win totals, they have one of the hardest schedules in the NFL yeah. as well this year. I, I think they're second tied for the second hardest schedule. So that also, I think, is going to make things very difficult on this team this season. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, too, because I remember that exact same thing. It was like a couple of weeks after the season ended. And like you're hearing in the media, like the Steelers are saying, like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take Ben, Big Ben back, but. It has to be at the right price, and it has to be at a price that makes sense for both of us. And then, like, three weeks later, they're walking it back. Like, oh, of course we want him back and all that. And, yeah, to your point, that just screams, like, guys aren't on the front uh, on the same page in the front office. And, again, to your point, like, we, that's rare for the Steelers. So, Henry, <laughs> just keep bringing it back around. The Browns are the front office that's um, impressing everyone, doing the right moves. It seems like, other than the Ravens, the Steelers and the Bengals are kind of Bengals always were taking a step back in the front office standpoint, but the Steelers starting to take a little step back as well. That's oh, a beautiful thing. That it is. That it is. However, you mentioned it. A team that is still it seems to be 
firing on all cylinders in the offseason and during the regular season as well, and that's the Baltimore Ravens. They are the favorites this year in the AFC North. They they finished 11-5 and five last year, but were able to finish ahead of the Browns given their matchups. And Jordan, I think the, the most interesting thing out of the Ravens is the fact that they reworked this offensive line pretty significantly, bringing in Kevin Zeitler, a player the Browns will be familiar with, trading Orlando Brown uh, to the Chiefs, mm-hmm. which I thought was an interesting move from their perspective. And, and then also, you know, uh, also signing Vill- on, uh, Villanueva from the Steelers, like we talked about. So they, they bring in some veteran guys to this team. What do you think of, of all of these different moves from the Ravens side of things uh, to rework their offensive line? It was, uh, yeah, it was, I was pretty impressed by it because I remember kind of at the you know, right around the draft when they traded um, Orlando Brown to the Chiefs and it was kind of like we were sitting here like, why you know the team that you have to beat and, and like why would you want to trade him to someone like that, especially a guy that's been a, a solid left tackle for, for years down. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was an impressive job. We, we know uh, Kevin Zeitler well from, of course, his time in Cleveland. He's great, great in the run game. And, of course, we know that the Ravens have a great run game. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was a great job. I think the Chiefs and the Ravens both, we kind of were going into this offseason like, hey, um, you know, their offensive lines took some hits. Like, maybe that might be a weakness on their team. And then it seemed like both teams within, like, two weeks, all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, they just completely reworked their offensive line into being – you know, some, um, a, a good unit again. So I, yeah, I was impressed with their offensive line, but I was impressed with their draft and kind of some other things that they did in free agency, Henry, as well. When you talk about at the wide receiver position, um, I'm not, not the biggest fan of the Sammy Watkins signing. Um, I think he came at a higher price too. I think they were kind of stretching to get a wide receiver in there for, um, for Lamar Jackson. They don't have the best wide receiver room, but I do like the Bateman draft pick. I think he could be, um, a problem in the red zone for some teams in the AFC North coming up this year. And then there's the other thing, the the elephant in the room, I guess you could call it as um, Julio Jones with the, with the Falcons and everything that's going on there. Is he going to, you know, we've heard the Ravens link to that for being interested in Julio Jones. So they're clearly realizing, like we talked about Henry, addressing your needs in the off season is the most important thing you can do for the Ravens. I think probably other than the offense line, their biggest need was at wide receiver, and it seems like they're trying to do that. So I guess kudos to them for that. It did. It seemed like a smart chess move, as you mentioned, to get rid of Orlando Brown Jr. and then turn around and get some great value out of that draft pick by, by getting Rashad Bateman, and I think he is going to be a key contributor for this team. I'm less worried about Julio Jones, to be honest, because yeah. I'm not sure how much the Ravens can use them. I just don't think that's I, Lamar Jackson's strength. And I know everybody has talked about how the Ravens need to you know, beef up their receiving core, but I look at Lamar Jackson's game and I don't think that's the place I would dedicate the resources. If I was the Ravens, I dedicated to the offensive line. So I thought it was an interesting shuffling to, to get Villanueva in there, to get Zeitler in, in there and provide some more stability. And veteran guys. I was surprised by the Orlando Brown jr. Move. I think, at the end of this, it's going to work out for the Ravens. And frankly, as much as it pains me to say, I, I have to believe what they did was smart because they've been a smart front office yeah. for a number of years now and to the Browns' detriment. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny that you say that too because I, I was having this conversation with someone the other day 
talking about Julio Jones possibly going to the Ravens and what that would mean. And I kind of said the same thing. It's like, yeah, you can send him there, but at the end of the day, you still have a, to have a quarterback that can get him the ball consistently. And from Lamar Jackson, we just haven't seen that yet. I mean, he's dominant on the ground. He it seems to be able to make plays when he needs to. You know, we saw it here on Monday night last year, but end of the day, I think he still lacks accuracy. I think he's not the best at throwing the ball down the field. So, yeah, I guess you're, that's an interesting, you know, kind of paradox, Henry, of talking about, like, yeah, like, they needed to address the wide receiver position. They tried to, but, like, did they really need to address the wide receiver position just because they don't play, um, you know, style of football that warrants that? But at the same time, I think the reason that they look at it as they do is because, you know, you don't want teams coming into – you know, in the game saying like, look, we're just going to sell out to beat the, uh, to stop the run. We're going to stack the box and that's going to be that. Now you have to have someone on the outside that can, you know, at least be a threat, even if it's kind of a, a, a false threat. But nonetheless, yeah, I, I get your, uh, I get your point on saying that, you know, the wide receiver room could have, could maybe allocated some funds elsewhere. It- and yeah, in their defense, Marquise Brown, I think, has really struggled for them. No separation mm. there. So I, in order for Lamar Jackson to improve, he doesn't need the weaponry there on the outside. And overall, I would say this Ravens offseason almost felt a little Patriots, Belichickian-ish to me in the sense that they upgraded the places they needed to upgrade with these mid-tier veterans in Villanueva yeah. and even Sammy Watkins with that $5 million deal. And it, they they sought out draft compensation instead. And then they actually let some pretty high-priced guys walk in Matthew Judon and Yannick Ngakwe. And they basically said, all right, these other teams, you want to pay them? The Patriots being one of them, hey, you want to pay these guys? Be our guest. We're, uh, we'll, we're fine. We'll let them go. And they drafted, you know, Owe out of Penn State, basically, who seems like he's going to be a, a replacement for Judon there. What do you think about – that uh, idea of letting some of their some of their bigger names, especially on the defensive side of the football, walk from from this team. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I don't really know what to think yet. I mean, again, it was kind of a head scratcher. But at the end of the day, Henry, you said it earlier, and I kind of you know abide by the same rules that like at this point, if if the Ravens are making a move and it kind of has us going like, huh, interesting. Like, see, what, I'm not sure quite what you were thinking there. But at the end of the day, it's like. If you're a Ravens fan, you're going to trust what the front office, what John, um, you know, Harbaugh and, and all those guys are doing up there in Baltimore. So I, I think at the end of the day, it's not not that bit like, were you really that impressed with like Yannick and Gakwe? I wasn't impressed that too impressed with him in, in the Baltimore Ravens uniform. I think Judon might be the bigger loss, but the Ravens have always been one of those teams, Henry, that kind of just all of a sudden guys come out of nowhere on their defense. seems like that's been happening for like at least 10, 15 years. And they come out of nowhere and kind of just dominate the AFC North. So I would trust that they're going to have someone come up that can do that and kind of fill the void. But, you know, I think Matt, Matt Judon could be a pretty significant loss, but we'll see how it plays out. I thought Judon got overpaid by the Patriots for sure, yeah. but it, it it looks like they're going to count on a way to, to fill that gap, and he's an, a, a wild prospect. A, a lot of people have called him uh, a, a unicorn. He had zero sacks last year at Penn State, but uh, and I saw ESPN compare him to DK Metcalf in terms of his testing. <laughs> he just ran a ridiculous 437 40 time, insane broad jump, uh, yeah, amazing three cone drill, but it tested off the charts at basically every drill that you could. And 
they're betting on the fact that that, that no sacks was a fluke. You know, uh, you know obviously a, a shorter season at Penn State. He had had sacks the previous year. And they're going to plug him into the system and count on him. You're right. It seems like the, the Ravens get these guys to work. Yeah. And I'm guessing they are going to get this to work as well. But it is a, a little bit of a gamble, I would say. A gamble I probably would have made if I were them, but a gamble. Yeah, we have to say as well. I mean, they still have, you know, Derek Wolf, who's, you know, a solid veteran on that defensive line. Uh, Brandon Williams as well. Calais, Calais Campbell's still there. So, I mean, they still have the pieces there. And, and you're talking about one of those random guys that I think can come up and just kind of, you know, just out of nowhere have a really good year for the Ravens and kind of become a key piece moving forward. Obviously, you have Patrick Queen, um, you know, going, just going into his second year. But Malik Harrison from uh, Ohio State, I think he's a guy that I wouldn't be surprised if you see kind of just take off out of nowhere. And, you know, Tyus Bowser's there as well. But another Ohio State guy that they drafted, Henry, that I liked a lot was Sean Wade. They added him to the, you know, already pretty solid cornerback room when you talk about Marlon Humphrey and um, Tavon Young. So I, 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 we'll see. We'll see how the Ravens do. I think that if you're looking at the roster from a defensive standpoint this year compared to last year, I think this year's roster is not as good as their defensive roster was last year. But at the same time, I think their offensive roster this year is better than their offensive roster was last year. So we'll see how that plays out. I like the, I think the Ravens are probably going to be right around that 11, 10, 11, 12 win mark again this year. I do too. And you look at the AFC North odds, the, the Ravens are a slight favorite over the Browns. Uh, based on what I have pulled up here, the Ravens are plus 115 to win the division. Browns plus 150. Steelers uh, drop down at plus 400 and then the Bengals at plus 2,500 to win the AFC North. Jordan, to me, that feels about right. I would have the Ravens as just the slightest of favorites over the Browns. I think the Browns have a slightly easier schedule. I think the Ravens are probably a slightly uh, more proven team at this point as far as you're not going to have to rely on their defense or offensive schemes to come together like you do with the Browns' defensive side of the football. And I think the Browns' defensive side of the football is going to come together. But the Ravens aren't going to be integrating seven to eight new guys or a new scheme or anything like that. So I would have them as the slightest favorites over the Browns. Then I'd have the Steelers, I think, as a step down. And then, uh, you know, the Bengals pretty solidly in fourth place. Is that how you see things? I like the Browns a tad more than I like the Ravens. um, Just because I think that what the Browns did to upgrade their positions of need this year was significant. I mean, think about... Lamar Jackson, what he was able to do to the Browns in that Monday night game and the people that were on the field defensively for the Browns during that game. And then you compare it to what's on paper right now. I mean, it's night and day. So I think if that's the case and the Browns weren't that far off from the Ravens last year, then I think that what they were able to do in the offseason puts them just a hair above, but I think it could be a push, right? Like I think that I could see both these teams winning 11 games. I could see both these teams winning 12 games, something along those lines. But the bottom line is I absolutely think it's, it's, it's Browns, Ravens kind of flip a coin uh, at the top of the AFC North and then Steelers Bengals down from there. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Bengals took a higher, a step up and the Steelers took a step down at the back end of that AFC North. I wouldn't be hugely surprised. I think I would be slightly surprised just because as I mentioned earlier, I just don't really see it in in the Bengals roster. However, I'm in agreement with you uh, as far as it being Browns Ravens. I I think a feather in the Ravens cap is you look at the last several regular seasons with Lamar Jackson is they destroy bad teams. They, mm-hmm. all, you know, their play, their problems. And I was having this discussion with, with some friends of mine the other day is their problems are playoff problems. 
Like they, they, if you go look at their history with Lamar Jackson in the regular season, when they are favored by more than a touchdown, their average margin of victory is something like 14 and a half points. They annihilate bad teams. And so I suspect that there's a very high floor for them as a team this year. They don't have to integrate a ton of new pieces, same coaching staff, same quarterback. Even if Lamar Jackson doesn't take a step forward, I think at the very, I would be shocked, assuming they have reasonable health, if they don't win 10 games this season. Where the Browns, I could see a situation where they end up with only nine wins where, hey, the defense took a little while to come together and things like that. So I, that's a feather, I think, in the Ravens cap. However, I think if you're making the case for the Browns, the biggest case is I think the Browns have a great situation against the Ravens. And we talked yeah, about this on the exactly. schedule pod. If this comes down to a tiebreaker, the Browns getting a bye week between the two Ravens games while the Ravens have to go play the Steelers could mean that, that, that the Browns have a, a, a better opportunity to sweep the season series. And if they do that, uh, of course, you would think that they would win the division. And so that gives me some slight optimism. The Browns would have to win that first game on the road uh, against the Ravens. And, I, and that'll be a tough challenge. I think that's the pivotal game, though, in the season. If the Browns are going to win the division, I think they have to win that game. Yeah, without question. I think we can both sit here and say, like, it's it's Ravens-Browns for the AFC North. And that, that three-week stretch towards the end of the year is going to be, like, some of the most intense three weeks of football that I can remember as a Browns fan. Because if you're looking at it as Browns versus Ravens, it is 1,000% going to come down to those games. And so late in the year, Henry, that it's like if one team loses both of those games, that just might be the division right there because there's not enough time to make it up that late in the year, but I'm, I'm ready for it, man. I'm cause to your point, like when I first saw that, I was like, that makes no sense. Why are we doing this? But when I looked at the Ravens situation and saw that they have to play the Steelers in between and the Browns get a bye, I was like, okay, all right. I can find solace in the fact that it's harder <laughs> for the Ravens than it is for the Browns. Exactly. I think they, they, they got the short end of the stick there more than the Browns did. Jordan, I think we'll wrap it up here going a little shorter, I think these next couple of weeks is a good idea. You know, we we want to get to a couple of different interesting topics on, on the Browns, but there's, there's not necessarily a reason to dive in for an hour and a half long either. So, so we'll cut it off there. Good discussion uh, on the Ravens and the AFC North as a whole. Uh, Jordan, before we sign off, just want to remind the listeners as well, if they want a free six pack of Coors Light, leave a review Drop your Twitter handle in there and you will be reached out to by one of us to get that. We've had a bunch of people take advantage of that so far. Continue to do that. If you're like Jordan and myself and you're going to be out on the golf course and you want to enjoy a, a, a six pack of Coors Light while you're doing that, hit us up, leave a review. If you've already left a review, hit me up on Twitter at Henry underscore Ettinger for that free six pack of Coors Light. Beautiful, man. Get out. Yeah, that's exactly what, like, you, you need something to go along with your golf, right? Get those, get that Coors Light. That, and the, when the mountains turn blue, Henry, that's what it's all about, man. You know, you got that cold, that cold beer to go along with your golf game. And let's be honest, golf is stressful. So you need a little beverage to help take the stress off. And uh, why not Coors Light, right? Absolutely. Why not? And look, Phil Mickelson just wrapped up. Uh, the PGA championship. He's the oldest major winner ever. So Phil can do it. There's still hope for us as well. Jordan. There you go. So <laughs> we'll take, we'll, we'll take a quick pause to go practice our golf game. But in the meantime, Browns fans, enjoy the nice weather. Enjoy the stress-free off season that you have going on. And until next time, two words for you. Cobra.